Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Seafire by Natalie C. Parker. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. This podcast is made possible by Nouvelle ELA Teaching Resources. Find secondary ELA resources to engage and inspire, like Collaborative Bell Ringers. N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E-E-L-A. Something new. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. We are joined today by Emily Skretsky, author of The Abyss Surrounds Us and Whole Metal Girls, which we discussed in episode 22. Hi, Emily. Hi. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. And I am so excited to talk to you because you are not just talented with books, you also like art and film and doodles and tell me all about you. No pressure. I mean, I'm a girl of many talents. I, I never actually studied writing formally. Uh, I, I was too busy doing other stuff. I studied filmmaking and computer science in college. So I have a very broad skill set. I work as a technical director at a visual effects house as my day job. So when I'm not writing, I am coding. That's really interesting. I didn't know all that before, but you can definitely see all those influences in Whole Metal Girls, like the knowledge of the AI and just like how visual things felt. I'm totally ready for it to be a movie. Also that. (laughs) That'd be so cool. Hollywood, if you're listening. (laughs) As everyone knows, producers are just lining up to listen to our podcast. So uh, this could be the moment. And you're the one that said that you wanted to read Seafire with us. Is that because you have a secret or not-so-secret fascination with pirates? I do, and with uh, futuristic pirates especially. I feel like it's an undermined territory in fiction, and so I was really excited that there's another futuristic pirate book coming out, and I wanted to read it. Was The Abyss Surrounds Us, is that Space Pirates, or is that Sea Pirates? No, it's uh, The Seas of the Future. Abyss Surrounds Us, though, is very much more explicitly like our future. It's about 140 years in the future. So there's a lot more foundation on which we build like, you know, it's called the Neo-Pacific, but it's still the Pacific. And the layout of the world is a lot more clear. So that was something I was really interested to see in Seafire was how it was our world. Like it had a lot of influence. The names all come from like Greek mythology or other things that are very clearly things that came from humankind. It's not like some other planet or some fantasy futuristic sea world, but it was a little bit less clear like where we were in the world. So it was kind of fun to try and piece that together from all the little clues that are scattered here and there. Yeah, I agree. And we can talk about that more when we get into the book. I hadn't looked at the abyss around us because we've been reading a lot of podcast books lately. And now that we have a little bit of a break, I am looking forward to digging into it. I am here for pirates. So I looked at a doodle on your art blog, and it suggested to me that there might be some LGBTQ representation in The Abyss Surrounds Us. Is that accurate? That is, yeah. The central romance is a lesbian relationship. Yes! Yes. Lesbian pirates are the best pirates. (laughs) Yes! One thing I wanted to ask you, Emily, because you started with the, I mean, I don't know like what order you wrote these books in, but you published the duology first. And Mm -hmm. as you may have noticed, listening to our podcast, we are obsessed with the correct number of pages. And (laughs) Whole Metal Girls was a standalone where it could have been much longer. Like, when did you make that choice to be like, okay, this is just going to be one book? 
I feel like it's kind of a matter of what the story demands. So like with The Abyss Surrounds Us, I had this very clear idea that I was going to have two books and they were going to reflect each other. And I thought of them as like a descent into hell and then a return to the light. So there were all these pieces that kind of demanded that both books or the, demanded that there would be two books and that they would interact in this way. Whereas with Hell Metal Girls, when I started playing out the story, it was just the story. It was just one story and it felt like it didn't need to have like a big cliffhanger ending and then a whole nother book. It just needed to be that one book. But again, now I'm working on not to get any hopes up, maybe fingers crossed, knock on wood. But the next thing I really hope to work on is a trilogy. And it's because I saw the story structure demanded that we have three books that separate in these three ways. So yeah, it, it's all about what's the best way to tell this story. And for Whole Metal Girls, it was just a standalone. But I feel like I tend to go back and forth between wanting to write a series and wanting to write a standalone. Like I'll, I'll have like a series idea and I'll work on the series and then I'll be like, oh, series are exhausting. I just want to write one book. And then I write one book and I'm like, oh, but it's so small and contained. Like, look, I want to be expansive and tell like, all this huge interconnected things that demand like the wait time between narratives. And, and then I'll get exhausted by that and be like, no, we're doing standalone again. Was there a draft of Whole Metal Girls in which it was four perspectives? No, but there was a draft of Whole Metal Girls in which it was one perspective. I actually started with just Aisha's perspective and was telling the story and she bumped into Key, who was, in my mind, she was like this Draco Malfoy-ish like, foil to her, this you know privileged girl. Who, I got that. Yeah, exactly. So she was there to just kind of bounce off Aisha. And then I um, started delving a little bit more into Key's character, realized she had some stuff going on under the surface that was really interesting, and then backtracked and wrote the book with her as a second protagonist. That's really cool. And that definitely came across. One of the things that I loved about Key was that she wasn't even fully explained. Like you gave your readers credit in being able to kind of take what you had as enough for the story, but know that there were a million things that you could have said, but chose not to in order to kind of focus on the story at hand. Yeah, definitely. Story to me is like king. Like if you're not moving the story, if you're not um, smoothly progressing from scene to scene, that's the ultimate failure for me. So I wanted to explain like a little bit of where key is coming from, but, uh, it's more interesting when you have the bits and pieces and when you you can imagine what fills those gaps. Yeah, absolutely. I love subtlety. I love when authors and creators don't overexplain. Amanda makes fun of me because I have this whole like extra mythology in my head of stuff that isn't on the page. I love it. It's your years of fan fiction that are just Yeah, no, you want it to be accessible for fan fiction too. I want fan fiction. Yeah. Okay. So if anybody has written Whole Metal Girls fan fiction, we want to know where to find it. In Natalie C. Parker's new book, Seafire, we are brought into a world where the seas and colonies are under the control of a brutal warlord. The protagonist, Caledonia Styx, leads her all-female crew in raids against his fleet. When her second-in-command shows mercy to a single enemy sailor whom she claims saves her life, Caledonia is forced to choose between everything she's ever believed about the enemy and trusting her own crew. All right, so Emily Skrutsky, our pirate expert, what did you think of this book? I loved it. I love the action in it, especially. I can see the Mad Max Fury Road influence in it. It is like one extended chase sequence just yeah. over the span of like several days. 
And every time we got into like some big fight, I was just like, Argh! it was really uh, exciting. I thought it was very cinematic too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I could definitely see a movie of this. We we talked about that before recording. So for me, the biggest strength of this novel was Caledonia's characterization and her relationship with her crew. And not just like the crew as a whole, but like each of her members of her crew individually. I think that we really had a clear picture of her character. And I really understood her motivations in a way that sometimes like excessively distrustful protagonists do not read true to me. I feel like Caledonia read very true because of like what we see of her experiences up to the timing of the novel. So for me, I really liked that part of the book. What about you, Danielle? I really liked that we know that Caledonia has this crew of like 53 girls, but Natalie C. Parker did a really smart thing where she chose to develop the command. So that was like five girls. And she chose to develop a couple of other key characters to really flesh out the world. But she didn't try to, you know, George R. R. Martin it up and try to make us learn all 53 names. With double names for most people. (laughs) (laughs) And also like honorifics and titles. Yeah. So who's your favorite character? Is it cheating to say Hime, like the gay one? I liked her a lot. So Hime is one of the command crew. She is a healer. And I think that she has this extra awesome layer of having been rescued from Eric's fleet And one of the things that Eric does is he gets his fleet addicted to the drug silt. I mean, it's just terrible. And they really hit like the withdrawal issues of the bullet that they capture. And Hime's withdrawal is covered. And I really just like that depth. I really liked the detail of the silt addiction, too. Like that was such a good and real world Yes, way of manipulating people to put in there. I really appreciated it, especially because it really called into question how complicit these bullets and all these people who are under Eric's control are because they're also under the forced addiction of this drug. So I liked the complexity that that brought into it. Yes, yeah, an additional way of trapping them in there and then making sure that there is kind of a chance for redemption, maybe. Like, they're not necessarily all bad dudes. They're basically enslaved to this drug and enslaved to this warlord. How about you, Emily? Uh, Who is your favorite character? Definitely Red Tooth. I love big, beefy, boisterous jock girls, and she was a great, big, beefy, boisterous jock girl. I really love when um, characters have some sort of, like, costuming trait that makes them really distinct. In Red Tooth's case, it's that she has this clay that she'll put it across her mouth when she's in battle, and then she also uses it to dye the ends of her braids. As like someone who draws fan art or will draw characters, it's something that makes the character really stand out for me. Right, and there was also the detail with the character of Lace, who wraps her hands in Lace, like for battle and so it's this contrast between like the sweet femininity of lace but like then she's gonna kill people another thing i really liked about lace so lace dies fairly early in the book like within the first couple chapters and in a lot of books often that is just like the thing that shows this is serious business and like people aren't all gonna make it through but i really loved that her loss continued to be felt throughout the novel like that caledonia felt the responsibility for the mistakes, possibly the mistakes that led to Lace's death and felt the loss of her on the crew. I really liked that. 
I like yeah, I really like the way it kind of affected the chain of command. That was something that like was really well thought out the way that they used to be a well-oiled machine. And now there's a gap in the workings where they need to figure out how they're going to fill that role that she used to play on the ship. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of Seafire and dig a little deeper. Hi, listener. Are you ready for next week's book? We will be ending our first shelf, you know, like a season, but for books. So precious. I know. I'm so precious. With the anthology Toil and Trouble, 15 Stories of Women in Witchcraft, edited by Jessica Spotswood and Tess Sharp. I will be joined by a special guest, Melissa Robles from the Bookstagram community. She is at The Reader and the Chef. You can pre-order Toil and Trouble through our Amazon link, and that will support the author and this podcast. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? So this week, I have really been enjoying the game Forbidden Island. It is a cooperative game similar to Pandemic, except that it feels achievable. (laughs) Like, my issue with Pandemic has always been, like, you feel like you have so many things cooking, and if you let any of the pots boil over, your kitchen's going to explode. Whereas Forbidden Island, it's still cooperative. You still have to get off the island, like, before it floods, right? But, like, you can let parts of the island go. That's fine. So I really like Forbidden Island, the cooperative game. How about you, Emily? So recently I've been really into the um, series of novellas Murderbot by uh, Martha Wells. The first book is called All Systems Red, and it's about a security robot who has hacked its governor and doesn't want its clients to know that because it's watching TV. So all it wants to do is be left alone and watch its shows, but someone is trying to kill these clients that it's protecting on this mission, (gasps) exploring this planet. And so to prevent itself from being discovered, it has to go and like figure out what the mystery is and uh, protect its clients so that it can go back to being left alone and watching its shows. I love it. It's so funny. It's so well-written and they're novellas. So they breeze by. Um, I think the third one comes out this week. So I'm really excited for that. That is a robot after my own heart. (laughs) What about you, Amanda? So for me this week, I have been uh, making another pitiful attempt to learn French. It is low levels of success, but I have really enjoyed sampling all of the different like language software online. And I think that my favorite one that I found is Babbel. It does a combination of like the immersion of Duolingo, but it uh, also puts in like some grammar rules actually written out like you're an adult who doesn't have to look at the same picture seven times. <laughs> and so I really appreciate that. Uh, however, it doesn't sing to you like Duolingo does. Bum, bum. Yeah, when you accomplish something. So that's kind of a bummer. But I think it's been really effective for me as far as just picking up the basics of French. So if you're curious about a language, you should see if it is on Babbel. That has been really good for me. Bum, 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 bum. Just like that. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on Seafire. The rest of the show may contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back.
Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on Sea Fire by Natalie C. Parker. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! And pirates! Shirley loves when she gets to say that. It's a problem. Pirates are awesome! Okay, so where are we going first? Well, let's talk about the pirates and the shippiness and the fact that they're on this ship and how you feel about ships, Amanda. Well, I feel generally positive about ships, having spent a lot of my life on them. Uh, however, I my biggest complaint with this book was kind of a recurring thread throughout this book, that it never really felt like they were on a ship. All of the technical details were right, things like the right there was a galley. language, there was a galley. It's where the food came from. There were a couple blips, but like for the most part, she had put in the work. But in general, like they never really mentioned the sea state. And that is huge. You are always aware of what the sea is, like whether you're going upswell or not. And so not having that really made me feel like we kind of forgot where we were. You didn't feel like the claustrophobia of a ship a lot of times. You weren't like very aware of the sea or the weather. And so it's kind of a bummer. Like they talked about the wind some, but not talking about the sea state really but like betrayed it as being like, oh, I forgot we were on a ship. But they also talked about their propulsion and wanting to keep it down so that people couldn't follow their their trap. All that is true. And that's why I said like she put in a lot of details, like she clearly put in the work, but like the feeling of it was missing. Okay, so I kind of have two things here. One, if you've never spent time on a boat, this probably won't bother you. Fair. And two, <laughs> Amanda, you mentioned before we started recording that you liked the claustrophobic feel of whole metal girls. So maybe Emily can chime in on that. Well, I guess it's a difficult effect to create. I'm, I'm Now I'm thinking about like, wait, how did I do that? Did I do that? I don't know <laughs> if I did that. I think one of the things that felt like it was a little bit missing for me in Seafire was um, the sense that they were traveling. Not necessarily like just being on a ship, but like being aware of like where you were going, how far you had to go, because it felt like they were just kind of, it was also because um, there wasn't really a grounding in where they were um, and the direction that they were traveling in. And I didn't feel the location as acutely. Um, and because I knew that this was like futuristic earth, but I didn't know where on futuristic earth, it was kind of harder for me to track and it didn't feel like. They were going to Cloudbreak. Where is Cloudbreak? I don't right. know where Cloudbreak. So we are yeah. recording this episode early and we haven't seen a final copy. The copy that we got did not have a map. Maybe the final copy will have a map. Maybe. So the shippiness of this book was a big question mark. And speaking of shippiness. Wow. Oh, are we going gay? Yeah. Okay, let's go gay. All right. So I do have things for the spoiler section that I want to talk about that are really positive. I just couldn't resist the speaking of shippiness thing for the redirect. I see why you did that. <laughs> Y'all, I, I thought there would be gay pirates. Like, not all of them, but like, you know, I you thought know, at least like 40% of them. <laughs> I thought that there would be a more prominent same-sex relationship, Natalie C. Parker has a wife is one of us one of us and like all we get is this like sidelined cute i mean it's cute but it's like the the family in the cabin in frozen and then they're off screen and it's done yeah i agree i feel like i can see it in previous editions of this book and then it got like edited away in favor of this like media push which was depressing yeah i from an author's perspective, I definitely understand 
because my first series had a lesbian relationship at the core and Hell Metal Girls is just a, a enemies to friends. There's no like sensual romance. And I know a lot of readers came into Hell Metal Girls like, oh, it's about girls. They're going to fall in love. And I'm like, Sorry. No, not in this one. So like I, there's a part of me that like worries that that's why Hell Metal Girls got picked up by a big five was because it wasn't gay. And then uh, if I write something gay again, that it's going to be harder to sell. Uh, so it is definitely something that is on the author's mind when we're pitching these stories. Yes. So I recognize that Natalie may have wanted a more prominent gay relationship and that's fabulous. So maybe this is just our message to the publishers listening that we want more gay characters, more LGBTQ plus characters. Is this a series? This yes. is a series, right? Okay, maybe maybe in book two, because that's sometimes you have to Trojan horse it. I know a lot of authors who who Trojan horse their diverse content into later books uh, yeah. because the first one is the foot in the door, and then they can go hog wild in the sequels. Yeah, that definitely occurred to me too. Like maybe later the romances become more prominent. I hope so. All right, so let's talk about spoilers that we loved. So I mentioned a little bit at the beginning how I really loved the character of Caledonia. And one of the reasons is because her very first scene is this massive betrayal as soon as she lets herself feel any empathy for the enemy. And so I loved that, like, a lot of the time when you have a character who is just needlessly antagonistic towards people who are exhibiting them kindness or, like, could be on their side and that kind of thing, you are thinking, like you don't really have a good enough reason not to trust this person at this point. And I definitely never felt that way with Caledonia because like her, like I kept waiting for Oren to betray them. Yeah. Because we'd already had this like massive bullet betrayal. And I thought that was really, really well done. And I always believed the character of Caledonia and I never thought that she was being ridiculous. Yeah, 100%. I thought that like there was the tension the whole time that Oren could betray them. I never trusted him. Did you trust him, Emily? I actually trusted him from the start. I was oh. kind of surprised that you guys uh, were, were so... Because like I felt like it would have been too one note if he did exactly the same thing that the other guy did. So he had to provide some contrast to the other guy. So I was like, oh, yeah, no, he's chill. I was anxious the whole time. I think also part of it was maybe because we just read Children of Blood and Bone, which had a lot of like back and forth betrayal. Right. And especially, like, the guy in that book is, like, you know, he's he's doing so well. And then he Zuko's super hard. Yes! Such a hard Zuko. <laughs> we feel so seen. We said that in that episode. Like he, he is so Zuko. He is. Yeah. If you have no idea what we're talking about, you need to go watch Avatar The Last Airbender, the Nickelodeon version, not the movie. And uh, let us know what you think what of movie? it. Oh, and then read Children <laughs> are Blood and Bone. So you have a lot of homework. <laughs> we assign homework on this show. I mean, Children of Blood and Bone is 600 pages, but it goes so fast. It's wow, so fast. it was 600 pages? I didn't realize. Yeah. I'm normally very it's attuned to page numbers. <laughs> it is the right number of pages. I really like that, you know, there's like the chase scenes and the technology and all that great stuff in this book that keeps it very action oriented. But at the end of the day, it is a book about a girl who's going to lead a fleet and she is developing her leadership skills. And that is so amazing. 
Like, Emily, you talked about the gap left by Lace in the chain of command, and Caledonia has to reckon with that gap. She realizes that she's the one that left that position, you know, empty or unclarified. Right, and she has to figure out how to balance the rest of her crew. So, Amanda, you are a a leader of people and you know about taking orders and being on a ship like how did all of that resonate with you i thought it was great i thought she had a really clear understanding of like how chain of command works and that kind of thing i really enjoyed the argument that she has with her command or no it's pisces specifically she's has this argument with pisces where she says you're always disagreeing with me and pisces is like that's my job and i was like oh okay they got there and i really liked that i liked it especially because we have talked a lot danielle about generally learning to disagree and not be defensive and just like accept things as being disagreements and sometimes she means in our marriage folks and the (laughs) podcast (laughs) i liked that caledonia had to learn that to be a good leader i really enjoyed it i thought it came across really well yeah and the other kind of aspect that we have is that this ship is also like a family and there's this moment where red tooth says to her The thing about family is, sometimes you don't have to ask us to do stupid things, and sometimes you don't get to tell us we can't. And I just really like that image of a crew that is also family. It's very Firefly. Did you like the ending, how all that played out, Emily? I was really surprised that the ending cut off where it did. I was like, like, kept on trying to scroll past on my phone, like, go to the next page, next page, where's, there's no next page. Uh, (laughs) It was a little abrupt for me. I guess in that sense, but um, I like that it kind of synthesized the things that she had been like struggling with throughout the book, the whole hoist your eyes thing, the whole, um, she got her, well, she didn't really get her moment of revenge. She kind of just got shoved onto a pike and then thrown overboard. That's pretty much how it went. I was kind of expecting her brother to be the captain of the Bale Blossom now. I was surprised it was still Lear, the original boy who betrayed her. And so I'm not sure that it was really necessary, that part of it, versus like just the your princess is in another castle moment that we had on the first ship. I thought that was like a good place to end (laughs) it. That's exactly what it was, right? Basically, yeah. So I don't mind a cliffhanger, but why spend the whole book building up the thing about family and sisters if she's just going to break off from them and do her own thing i hate it when friends separate stay together you're more powerful together it also just felt a little weird for the character too because the whole book we see her like through how she relates to her crew and then she splits off and then we don't get that lensing anymore and she becomes kind of a completely different character just for like the last five percent of the book Yeah, I agree. It definitely resets a lot of her character development. So I hope they just kind of like reset it at the start of the next book. Just say like, that was dumb. And then we all carry about our lives. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like they could have achieved a lot of the same thing. Um, We have these moments where it's like, oh, the ship has to leave. It's like the good of the money. And if you're late, like you could get lost. And like there could have been the same moment where she gets separated, but not willfully. Overall, I think that even though we had some quibbles with this book, I am really looking forward to there being more of a series because I just feel like there should be more books about awesome girls, badass awesome crews of things. ladies. Yep. I really love stories about women that completely sideline men. <laughs> yes, like Ocean's that, Eight. Uh, no romance. Like, yeah. Because I feel like we're still kind of circling this point of like if two women are 
fighting, they're fighting over a man, or there, there's some Bechtel test thing. And we, we had a little taste of that in this book, but mostly it was about these um, disagreements that are rooted in who these characters are as people. And that's something that like I really want to see more of instead of the tension that stems from a main romance. So I really, really like that about this book. Me too. Agreed. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Emily. I was glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You can find Emily around the web at Skretsky. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Happy reading.